So we're continuing our, um, our, our series where we're talking through uh, Peter and the, the fascinating life of, of Peter. Uh, the series is called Foundations. And, and the idea of today, I want to talk about change. I want to talk about how God changes a person. And I've come to believe that uh, no matter where you are, God absolutely wants you to grow, wants you to develop, and I believe that he will provide you with any necessary wisdom and experience, experiences, to get you where he wants you, um, provided that you're with him in the process. Like, if we're really willing to grow, God, it's, it's sort of like when the, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will arrive, maybe you've heard that, but I think that God provides us with um, the, all the wisdom and the experiences we need to grow for a life of continual growth. It's just a matter of us deciding, okay, I want that. I'm going to look for that. I'm going to join God in that process. And so I, I would never want you to get lost in the gap between who you are today and who you want to be or who you think God might want you to be. Because uh, some people are, you know, they, they see, they, they have this idea of what it would be, uh, what it would mean to be close to God. And they realize that they're down here, they're far away, they're far from God, and they see that gap, and it's just like, oh, God would laugh at the thought of me. But, but I, I think that what we see in Scripture is, no, God will get you there, and he's going to provide the things to get you there. You're going to have to do the work, but don't let the gap intimidate you. So, okay, uh, let's take a little bit of time to talk about uh, the idea of the character arc, because I think that... Um, we were made for change, and human beings uh, notice character arcs in people, that, that arc of, of progression, and are, are inspired by that because we were made to grow. And, and movies, uh, not, not that I'm you know, a, a movie buff, um, but movies and, and fictional books are, are built. They're good when there's good character arcs. And again, I'm not a movie, movie buff, and I'm way too boring of a person to read fiction. Nonfiction's where it's at. But I know that in movies and fiction, the, like if you find yourself going back to a movie or going back to a good book, it's probably because you got sucked in to a character arc. Character arc. So here's a few examples, a few of my favorite examples. First would be um, Indiana Jones. Uh, I loved the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie growing up. Um, now, I'm, a, I'm biased because his character arc in the movie, you know, he starts out saying that he doesn't believe in superstitious, hocus-pocus, power-of-God stuff. And then, you know, by the end of the movie, he's very much convinced that there is something more going on in the universe, and there is power of God that is at work in the world, and, and so there's that character arc that he goes through in that movie. Now we'll bring you to one of my favorite movies, um, The Natural. Uh, this is where I took on my, my love for baseball, was, was Roy Hobbs. Uh, Robert Redford played Roy Hobbs, who played for the New York Knights. And uh, the, turns out that the movie's not really about baseball. He, uh, at the beginning of the movie, he, he leaves the love of his life to go pursue his dream to be the greatest baseball player of all time. And then through a series of setbacks and things, he's led back around to realize in the closing, the closing scene, which I had to practice to not... You know, be overwhelmed with emotion even today as him playing catch with his son in the grassy field. And it's like you, you realize that there, that's what life is really all about. His time with his wife and his, and his son, they're playing ball together. Those kinds of interactions are more important than the purely sports achievement kind of stuff. But the character arc 
is compelling in the natural, and I'll watch it every time it's on TV. Now, there's also uh, downward character arcs like um, uh, Michael Corleone and The Godfather. You see someone who starts off the movie as a, um, you know, a good citizen who fights for his country, who has no interest in the family business. And then he, by the end of the movie, is a cold-blooded mob boss, the godfather, so you just see that kind of downward character arc, but it's compelling nonetheless. Now, on to the Guilty Pleasure movie, Legally Blonde. (laughs) We may or may not own this movie at the Poindexter House, and I may or may not watch it every time it's on. There is actually a profound, well-developed character arc in that ridiculous movie. The idea of Reith Witherspoon going from, like, rich, ditzy blonde to accomplished law student. But in her character arc, um, there are trials along the way. There's the threshold where she crosses the threshold to go to law school. The, The hero steps into the battle. And then there's trials along the way. And then the unexpected helper appears just when it looks like, All hope is lost. The unexpected helper appears and saves the day, and then she wins the trial, and she goes from ditzy blonde to accomplished law student. There is actually a very well-written character arc in Legally Blonde, thus justifying watching the movie. So maybe you could think about some of your favorite movies and, and the character arcs and, and you find that, oh, maybe that is why I, I, I love the, the development of the growth of the character. But when we talk about the Bible, the scriptures, we, we're talking about a book that's built around character development, character arcs. Both good and bad, but mainly positive progression as a person walks with God. Now the whole Bible itself is sort of a character arc uh, around humankind. In that it starts off, think about the imagery, there's a tree, there's a river, and there's man and woman walking with God. Then there's a great crisis that happens that separates humans from God, but then it ends in Revelation with a tree and a river and human beings walking with God. There's this this almost circle of of, uh, development where humankind starts out good and then falls and then is redeemed. There's a character arc. But then within Scripture, there's also these individual stories of, of men and women, just like you and me, who have highs and lows, but we get to see God develop their character and the kinds of experiences and wisdom that comes into their life. And when they're willing, uh, God will take them somewhere, sometimes in a relatively short amount of time, but they have to themselves engage with God's work. So let me, let me do this. Let me, um, I'm going to read to you, as we're talking about Peter, take a look at the, um, the powerful character transformation in the life of Peter. And I'm going to start in Mark 14. And I've read this a couple times this year, but different perspective today. Mark 14. This is um, uh, Jesus is arrested, and he's being marched off to trial and ultimately crucifixion. So this was a very traumatic night. Uh, While Peter, who was one of the lead disciples closest to Jesus, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. So we're talking about a servant girl, like a a kid, a servant kid. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. 
I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out under the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. And again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. So we get this, and, and I think it's, it's no uh, accident, um, it's intentional, that the author wants us to know that this is a little girl, and she's questioning Peter, and Peter crumbles <coughs> under the pressure of that moment. Like he panics, and he completely denies his faith. And then the Bible actually goes on to say, when he finally realizes how far he's fallen, he runs out of the city and just balls, balls his out. So this big, you know, um, um, powerful uh, fisherman guy who would have been strong. And certainly, as you read in the scripture, this is a ready fire aim kind of guy. He's just like he crumbles from the pressure of a teenage girl questioning his faith. So that's where we see Peter when Jesus is crucified. Now, this would have just been a few months later. So let's take a look at the character arc in Peter's character. And this is, this is a lot of scripture, but hang with me because you're really going to see the changed man. Peter ends up being a leader in the early church, and he speaks out on behalf of Jesus, uh, testifying to his resurrection. And we read this. Then the high priest and all the associates who were members of the parties of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Why were they filled with jealousy? Well, they were the religious elite, leaders of the, rigi- the religious system. And, and Peter's early message was kind of, don't put your faith in the religious system Put your faith in Jesus. And there's a lot of momentum. Peter's uh, working miracles uh, with God's help, obviously. And, and there's just jealousy around, around what he's doing. They arrested the apostles and they put them in public jail. So now Peter's in jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and, all the people, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told. And began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, that was the name of the ruling council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to, to jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail where they expected to find them, uh, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. Later on in verse 25, it says, Then someone came and said, Look, The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Compare this to a little servant girl and what the little servant girl invoked in in Peter. And now this is like the ruling council that has all kinds of authority. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, Jesus, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right 
hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So at this point, they want to kill the apostles, but somebody within their own group persuades them, why don't you let God sort all this out? He's capable of doing that. So they back off, and the story finishes in verse 40. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. They had them beaten. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So a few months earlier, Peter crumbles because this little servant girl puts pressure on him. A few months later, he stands with boldness when the whole Sanhedrin puts pressure on him with execution as a very real possibility. Not only that, he's freed from prison and chooses to go back to teach in the morning. He could have just taken his freedom and gotten away. He'd done similar things before, like ran from the problem. But now... His character has been transformed. Now, it might be easy for us to say, yeah, but that's Peter. Like, he's in stained glass. He's one of the all-stars. He's in the, the God Hall of Fame. But here's what I want you to see from 2 Corinthians. And this is written by Paul, a man who also had an incredible character arc, transformation from God. And he says this. This is 3.18, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. In other words, we who see God's work, we who see God um, in relationship, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is his spirit. So what Paul's saying is, if you want, if you have any kind of connection with Jesus, he will transform you that's what he does ever increasing likeness to the character of God that's God's promise for you he will get you where he wants you he'll give you the wisdom he'll give you the experiences to get you there it's just up to us to work together with him in doing so now there are plenty of people who just sort of go to church occasionally, or often, or every Sunday. But their character doesn't change. They're the same person 10 years from now that they are today. They're the same person today that they were 10 years from now. They, they, they're just stuck in life. They don't move closer to Jesus. They don't move more into alignment with what he wants to do. They don't really do anything for God. They don't experience that fulfillment. That fullness, fulfillness isn't a word. Um, I had that little button in my head, just went, wait, that's not right. They don't experience the fullness of God in their life. They're stuck. So that's a thing. Like, if you want to do that, you can. It's possible to be in church every Sunday, to be around Jesus, to be around Christianity, and never change. But what I hope you'll do is say, yes, I want to move somewhere. And what I want to do with the rest of my time is, is talk in my own life, in my own experience, and also what I've seen from other people who grow. Here are some things that I think you can do 
to take in the wisdom and experiences that God gives you and move forward so that 10 years from now, one year from now, six months from now, you've grown and you're not the same person that you are today. So if you want that and you haven't found that yet, you don't have methods that you think help you get there, here, here are my suggestions, okay? First of all, first and foremost, is what I would call transformational Bible reading. Now, this is the most cliche of anything I'm going to say, okay? Because it's, you know, yeah, read your Bible and pray more. But listen, don't read your Bible to learn more stuff. I mean, you can if you want. But read it transformationally. In other words, read it to find things that will help you grow. Read it with a mindfulness toward not learning new facts about God, but read it with a mindfulness of what can I do to implement this. So here's my suggestion, is that you regularly read the Gospels. Now, I'm not talking about two hours every day, but I'm talking about 15 minutes every few days. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John with an emphasis on Jesus and what he's teaching and what he's doing. And think while you read it, <coughs> what does this mean for me in my life, really? And how am I doing with this? So when you read that Jesus extended mercy to someone, you say, okay, Jesus was merciful. Have I been merciful? When you read Jesus talking about generosity, you look at yourself and your, your, your um, bank statement, and you ask yourself, am I being generous? When's the last time I've helped someone? Am I loving my enemy? You're reading the Bible with an emphasis of transformation, not just knowing more stuff, not just reading it for a good luck charm or to be a good Christian, but you're reading it for transformation. Now, this is going to sound harsh. You are probably not growing in your faith if you're not reading your Bible on your own. I'm sure it's possible. I have yet to see anybody who does it. Bible reading is an essential part of growing. And I'm going to say transformational Bible reading because I know people who have a lot of Bible knowledge and who are the same cranky person that they were 20 years ago. Okay, You can go to a lot of churches and find some of the meanest people in this country. And they know the Bible inside and out. So I'm talking about transformational Bible reading. If you don't have a Bible that you can easily read, take one of the blue ones. we got plenty of them. And that's your Bible now. And mark it up and write in it and make it your own and ask yourself, what's this staying and what am I going to do about it? Transformational Bible reading. God will give you the wisdom and experiences to grow. You have to join him in the process and be on board. Okay, um, thing number two that has helped me grow. And this is, this is um, maybe different. It's not necessarily just Bible stuff, but there is no practice in my life that I could point to specifically more so than say, this is what helped me grow practically, actually, whatever, than this, than this practice right here. Okay, these are my index cards. <coughs> okay? As I go throughout the day, if there is something that comes to mind, if somebody says something, if I read something, I'm like, ooh, I need to work on that. Maybe not now. But that's good, that's, that's right thinking, I want to remember that, I make an index card. And then every few weeks, every few weeks, I comb through my index cards 
to make sure I'm reminding myself of the different things throughout the years that have stood out. And if there's something that's like, there, that's for right now, I pull it. So for instance, here's one that I pull for this season. Um, this says, and so you can see some of these are kind of trite and some of these are, you know, are, are much more spiritually minded, whatever. This says, baseball is for enjoying time with friends and family, nothing more. Okay, that's because when I'm out there watching my kids play, living and dying a thousand deaths based on every at bat, I can remind myself, Alex, stop being an idiot. This is for you to enjoy your family and enjoy these people around you in the same life stage and nothing more. So stop making yourself miserable when that's all this season is about. But I need, like, I need this card. So that's one of the cards that I pull. And, and every day on a card that I pull, I, I spend time in my morning routine reading the cards that I pull because I'm like, right now in this season, this is what I need to remember. Just a couple more so you can see the kind of stuff that I write down. Um, here's one. Like I heard Urban Meyer, um, former Buckeyes coach, he was analyzing a game last year, analyzing a college game, and he said that there are three things, uh, a lack of success for a team is from one of three things, either lack of trust between players or coaches, hard work doesn't match uh, the expectations for success, in other words, they're not working hard enough, or selfishness among players. So anyway, I just I thought that's really good. I don't want to think about that right now, but I wrote that down so that there may be a season where Polaris or where whatever just isn't going well, and I happen to across that card, and oh, was it one of those three things? Here's another one that I wrote down. <clears throat> They are asking a question, not questioning you. I heard um, Andy Stanley say that. you got to know the difference between when somebody is asking you a question versus questioning you. Because I'm the kind of person, because I, I like to maintain peace, that somebody can ask me, hey, what, what, what time, um, why, why do you only have one church service now? And I'm like, because... We had to go back to one because of the pandemic. You know, they're just asking a question, and I'm all defensive. So that's just something that I tuck away in my pile because there are seasons of life where I, where I get all, you know, amped up and I need... So anyway, those index cards have become enormously important in my life. And there are usually two or three index cards in any given season, any given month that I have that I pull, and then every day, like I'm going to look at the whole stack, a couple times a month at the most. But I'm going to look at the cards that I pull every single day because that's a season of life where I have to, I have to work. And so all I'm really doing is like capturing any little nugget of wisdom that comes my way. And then it's in play as my life plays itself out. Does that make sense? Anyway, that's a really helpful practice I have now, the vast majority <clears throat> are more spiritually minded than, like, youth baseball. But that's something that has served me well. Uh, next little thing that, that has been extremely helpful in practical growth and in finding wisdom from God and putting it into practice are my little field notes. I go through a field notes notebook about every two weeks, and every day... Um, gets a new page with just kind of a list of, of you know, what, I, what I have to do. But the more important thing is, at the beginning, I write down my, my, my six like, 
practices, okay? The, the, I try to build my day around six main practices, and I write it at the beginning, and every day I go back to it. So I'll just read you my, my six. And this is everybody, you know, you have your own things that you need to work on. But these are my six. Like, my life is good if I'm working on these six things all the time. First one is one thing is needed. Jesus said few things are needed, indeed only one, when he was talking to Martha, saying basically the only thing that really matters is your connection with Jesus. And so I got to remind myself every day, Alex, the only thing that really matters is your connection with Jesus. And number two is routine, just the word routine, because I know that I need a routine in my life to make progress. Without it, I'm, I just flounder. Number three, notice every thought. Notice every thought. For me, that's one of the things that, that the ancient Christians obsessed over. When you read ancient Christians, they, they obsess over growth. And their big practice that they felt kept you moving toward God and kept you from moving away from God was to notice every single thought in your head as it developed. And you only let the thoughts progress that were worth thinking. So the minute you start to think about how much you hate your neighbor, you recognize that thought in its infancy and you move away from that thought. Or else we can, man, we can go for a walk and just marinate on how much we hate that guy or that girl at work the whole time and get enjoyment out of that walk, right? So you, you notice every thought. Four is moderation. What is uh, uh, what I ought versus what I want. Fifth is be present. Be present and in the moment. And six is positivity. Be positive. God is for you. How can you be anything but positive? Now understand... Those are the six that I've identified as I need these things in my life. And I have to, you know, I write them down for a reason. Because I'm not good at any of them. Like, these aren't six things I strive for. These are six things I'm terrible at that I need to be good at. Because understand, if I'm just going, there are days where I abandon my walk with Jesus almost completely and don't utter a word to God. There are, there are months when I'm out of routine. That... I am, I'm a daydreamer, so notice every thought for me is nothing that comes natural to me. Uh, moderation, I would not be 218 pounds if I practice good moderation in my diet alone. Be present, I'm never present in the moment, like ever. And positivity, for those of you who know me, ha-ha! <laughs> <clears throat> so, these aren't six things I'm good at. These are six things that maybe with intentional practice, I'm a six out of a ten. But without intentional practice, I'm a two out of a ten. So I, ha I know that God's going to bring me the wisdom and God's going to bring me the experiences to get me where I am. But I have to be aware. And I know those are six areas that would really be helpful for me to maximize who God wants me to be. And I write them down and I review them every single day. <clears throat> when I do the stuff I'm supposed to do, and it reminds me of things to be working on because if you don't, unless, I mean, maybe, maybe you're awesome at this. Good for you. And I mean that. That's, that's great. If you're just a growth machine without things that, that force you, but, but I need to have right there, a, like that's, that's the closest thing to a system that I have to, to, to stay on track. Or else I will waste enormous amounts of time and of my life. And then one last thing, real quick. Um, it's called Compline. And it comes from uh, the, the, the Latin word uh, for completion. Compline was a prayer at the end of the day that ancient Christians on through 
today. Um, it was a time of prayer, but it was ultimately reflection. It was like reflective prayer, where you would take a moment at the end of the day and review anything you needed to review about what you felt like God was doing in your life, about how well you did, about what you want to do different tomorrow. It was a time at the end of the day to sort of bring closure, um, but also not to let anything slip that could otherwise kind of anchor in your mind. And it also becomes a kind of accountability when you know that you got that coming to your, you know, at the end of the day, you're kind of like, oh, I need to, let's, let's say I, I have a negative interaction with somebody. And I'm like, okay, I need to think more about that this evening. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I go to bed fairly early, like 10 o'clock is, is, is about my bedtime. And so around 9.45 or so, I'll try to take just five minutes. And um, on a good day, when I actually do this stuff, um, and, and try to review what was my day like. Um, sometimes I write it down, sometimes I don't. What, what happened today? Where was God today? Where, how well did I connect with God? How well did I connect with people? How well did I do those six things that I'm trying to work on? Um, and just, just sort of give myself a vehicle to push forward. Because understand with this stuff. Um, you, ever, you ever, like, in, in my yard, um, my boys mow now. That's why we had kids. Um, you ever finish mowing, like you're done mowing, but then you run out of gas? And, you, like, I'm not going to walk up, get the gas can, walk back down. So you're pushing the mower back to the garage um, without the power on. And, like, we have this hill, and I always know when you get to that hill to push the mower. That's growth, okay? You are rolling a rock uphill. This is not something like where you have this vision of who God wants you to be and you wake up and you're just that. Like, if that's going on, beware that's just emotion and it's not going to last. Spiritual growth is very difficult work and it's one step forward, two steps back a lot of the time. But then sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back. And you just make slow progress. But it happens when you keep your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Keep pushing forward. And these are some systems in my life that have helped me do that. And I have a long way to go. And, and I, I can tell you, just, you know, honestly, I don't want to, like, be overly hard on myself. But I... I like, I've made progress. I am not the same person that I was 10 years ago, 5 years ago. And these are the kinds of things that get me here. But it is, it is hard, frustrating work. And I have seasons where I do well, and then I have seasons where I just collapse and lose all kinds of ground. So hopefully some of that can help you. But more than anything, I want you to realize the, the, the talking point for the day. God will produce spiritual growth in your life. He is going to bring the wisdom and the experiences to your life to get you where he wants you, <clears throat> you have to join him in that process to actually go through that transformation. All right, we're going to do one last song, and then we're standing, yes? And so go ahead and stand, please, and I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for, uh, rather than kick us out and forget about us, you, um, you press us to be better. And you promise us good things and growth. And so I pray that you would help us. Maybe some of these things could, could catch on. Uh, maybe there's a next step in all this that, that 
that we need to take. Um, help us to figure that out. Um, more than anything, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves like you do, um, ripe with potential because your power flows through us. In Jesus' name, amen.